If you are one of those horrible people who litters, you can at least be relatively safe in the knowledge it's not going to kill anybody. Your litter isn't going to, say, jump up and start travelling at thousands of kilometres an hour, threatening to pulverise anything in its way. That is, unless you're littering in space. Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Welcome to the Let Me Explain podcast and don't forget to hit subscribe wherever it is you're listening for new episodes every week. On this one, we are leaving the confines of the atmosphere behind because it's time to talk about space junk. This is Project Command. Stand by power transfer. Minus X minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, Well, I'm very glad you could join me here in the command module, affectionately nicknamed the SS Ivan Yates. News Talk's first podcast from space, as it happens. Although I was going to say News Talk's first podcast in zero gravity, but I'm not entirely confident Henry McKean hasn't done that at some point. And if you look out the port window there, you are going to see the sun reflecting off the northern hemisphere of that big, blue, beautiful planet that we call home. And if you look over there, you can see what we can't see most of the time from Earth, a satellite making its orbit around the planet. They come in all shapes and sizes depending on what they do. Some of them are as big as buses. Other nano satellites are just four inches wide. It's not about size after all. And about half the satellites up here, well, they're dead. More than 6,000 satellites are estimated to be in orbit, with more than 3,000 no longer functioning. So we're traversing through something of a robot graveyard. But that's only the start of the problem, because this actually poses a real risk to interstellar travel for stations like the one we're about to board. Dead satellites are not the only thing posing a risk to the International Space Station and pretty much anything else in orbit. There's actually tons of space junk floating about here. NASA tracks more than 30,000 pieces of orbital debris. 23,000 of those are bigger than a tennis ball and travel at speeds of up to 28,000 kilometers an hour. NASA say there are half a million pieces of debris the size of a marble or bigger. The European Space Agency though thinks it could be double that. And then there are about 100 million pieces of space junk that are only around a millimetre in size, but that doesn't mean they can't do damage travelling at the speeds they do. NASA's reported a number of space shuttle windows had to be replaced because of damage from flecks of paint in space. And that millimetre sized debris actually represents the highest mission-ending risk to most robotic spacecraft. Explosions in space have also caused real problems. In 2009, an old Russian spacecraft destroyed a functioning US satellite, adding 2,300 large trackable pieces of debris to Earth's junk layer and many smaller pieces. And amazingly, some of these explosions are actually happening on purpose. 
High drama aboard the International Space Station. Seven astronauts had to scramble to their safety capsules after Russia blew up one of its own satellites with an Earth-based missile. It created a cloud of space junk that could potentially damage the space station. Station Houston on space to ground two for an early wake-up. We were recently informed of a satellite breakup and need to have you guys start reviewing the safe haven procedure. This is just borders on terrorism to a certain extent because you're just wantonly blowing something up with the fragments going wherever they wish. And it's a threat that will continue to bother people for years. Every time you do this, it's a decade long risk or longer. Something like this happens, an explosion that threatens the International Space Station. If it's deemed serious enough, it's literally a case of running for the lifeboats. NASA plots what they call a pizza box perimeter around the station, and if they think debris is going to enter that box, they can make manoeuvres to avoid it. But even small changes here, with all the calculations that need to be done and inputted, can take up to five hours to make. Those kind of manoeuvres have been done 29 times on the International Space Station since 1999, with three of those coming in 2020 alone. The crew moves here to one of the crafts that was used to transport them to the station so that if something goes wrong and strikes the ISS, they can basically unbuckle and escape. Getting outside the ISS is also becoming more tricky because of space junk. In June last year, a spacewalk to repair a faulty antenna was cancelled due to debris near the station. Most of what floats around here can be tracked from Earth, but worryingly, some bits are too small to track, but still large enough to do damage. Last year, a hole was found in one of the robotic arms on the space station, made by something that was too small to pick up. And another potential problem is, the neighborhood is about to get a lot more crowded. Well, there's already too much of this stuff and here we are everybody's talking about putting constellations up there of thousands of satellites and that's an issue in and of itself except that's somewhat controllable with the traffic you know monitoring in, in, in thought and planning former nasa engineer keith cowing is talking mostly about plans from elon musk the richest man in history has a pretty divisive plan for the atmosphere he wants to fill the skies with 42,000 spacex satellites and for context there's only about 3,000 working satellites in the atmosphere now, and somewhere over 6,000 total. So he wants his company alone to put seven times more satellites into space than have been there in history to date. Like, it sounds like something a Bond villain would do. Now, what he's talking about in a project called Starlink does have some potentially amazing benefits, bringing high-speed internet access to the entire world. We should have uh, global connectivity, uh, or everywhere except the poles. Um, I know, as I said, it's 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 really meant for sparsely populated uh, regions. Our spot size, talking in terms of cellular, is uh, quite big. So we're well suited to low to medium density areas, but but not to high density areas. The idea is basically, it's hugely expensive to run internet cabling, it's slow to roll out and won't reach many rural areas, particularly in the likes of Africa, 
because it's not really commercially viable to do. Think of how long the broadband rollout is taking here alone in a small country like Ireland. But there has been pushback to the idea of Starlink and satellite internet. The head of the European Space Agency has said Elon Musk is being allowed to dictate the rules of space and called for the EU to take action so that other countries and projects weren't blocked out. It's causing tension with China too, which says its space station twice had to manoeuvre to avoid Starlink satellites last year. There's also been commentary from China that they need to develop some sort of weapon to take down or disable Starlink should it be needed at a time of war. The fear being that 42,000 satellites trained on Earth are not just going to passively provide you with good phone coverage and broadband, but could be spying on us all as well. Another concern is Starlink satellites literally taking away the night sky. They're much lower down in orbit than a lot of satellites and can be seen on occasion with the naked eye. Dan Hayes from PwC explained why they're so low to CNBC. Because they're lower, you actually need more of them to cover an effective area, right? They just can't see all the parts of the Earth. Our higher orbiting satellites used to be able to get away with a much smaller number of actual orbiting vehicles, whereas these new low Earth orbit constellations do require more. Uh, whether having you know, 10, 20,000 or more satellites orbiting is warranted for any of these is still yet to be seen. So they effectively need to be closer to do their job effectively. The further away they are, the longer the load time is for customers. So if they're closer, your Netflix loads faster. But it's presented problems for astronomers trying to view the night sky and even some equipment which tracks space junk and other extraterrestrial objects due to lighting reflecting off the satellites. Like imagine 42,000 of them up there and you're not just seeing the stars in the night sky, but they're kind of blocked out by a, a ring of satellites. SpaceX has now taken measures to make them darker to address these problems, making them just 31% as bright, in some cases just by painting bits of them. And in many cases, they're now invisible to the eye. But SpaceX are far from the only ones wanting to do this, by the way. Amazon, Astra and OneWeb also have plans to dot their own networks in the stars, as well as China and other countries. And while those companies are now generally more responsible with space junk than we were in previous years, there's still a lot of rubbish floating around up here. But space is big, so what's the problem? Well, a theory called the Kessler effect suggests we could get trapped on our own planet. In 1978, NASA scientist Donald J. Kessler suggested that without cleaning what's called lower Earth orbit, effectively where Elon Musk wants to put all those satellites, eventually there will be so much debris, it will start colliding rapidly, creating more junk, which would then create more collisions, which would create more junk, and you see where I'm going. Effectively meaning that after a while it would be impossible to get any spacecraft out of lower Earth orbit without it being ripped up. We'd be quite literally grounded. So is there anyone trying to clean up the skies? Who can take your trash out? Stop it down for you. Shake the plastic bag and do the twisty thingy too. The garbage man. Oh, the garbage man can.
All sorts of ideas have been put out there for how to get rid of space debris, and one big project is in the works. Here's Lucia Innocenti, head of the Clean Space Office at the European Space Agency. Nobody has ever removed a space debris, and it's a very challenging mission. So first thing is proving that it can be done. And that's what we are planning to do with the Clear Space One mission in ESA. Then the scientists are unanimous. What you need to do is to remove the big object from the most populated orbit. Why? Because those are the objects which have a higher risk of collision and which will create a cloud of smaller debris. A Swiss company, ClearSpace, is working towards launching a rocket to, quite literally, clear space. It looks like something out of a sci-fi film. The spacecraft will launch these tentacles out of sort of a square box with a rocket on the back to grab onto the Vesper rocket, which has been floating around in space since it was launched in 2013. The plan is the ClearSpace project will then pull that down to Earth with both objects disintegrating in the atmosphere. But remember how fast these things are moving, up to eight kilometers a second. That's tricky. One critical aspect is that the object may rotate in some orientation. John Paul Neeb is a professor of astrophysics at the EPFL Space Center. And so the, the last part with the camera is basically to identify not only the distance, but also how it rotates. Because then for the capture system that would come on this, you know, chaser, it will have to adapt its position and rotation. Other plans include a robot which would fire harpoons and nets at floating space debris and microsatellites with little claws to pick up litter. You know, like those little ones you get, you see the tidy towns going around with them, but you know, in space. But most ideas, they aim to push the junk back towards Earth where it can burn up in the atmosphere. And you know, I think that's where I'll go now. Head out of the clouds, well, quite a bit above the clouds actually, and back to Earth. Thanks for listening to Let Me Explain. Don't forget to subscribe. John Kill was the editor for this adventure to the stars and Lachlan Hart on sound production. I'll chat to you next week. Hopefully.